You're listening to Sourced with Stu Finer. to roll with podcast number 10, sourced with Stu Finer, juiced up, pumped up, ready to fucking bring it, baby. And I love doing these podcasts. I love it. Just telling some stories, telling about what's going on in my life, telling about how I'm feeling at the moment. And it's been received so well. So I'm very, very grateful. And thank you very much. And I know how competitive the podcast industry is out there. There's a million and one podcasts. Some are great, some are not. And I'm grateful you take the time to listen to me. And as always, spread the word nationwide, worldwide. Tell all your friends, tell your family, tell strangers to pull up Sourced with Stu Finder on iTunes. So New York is buzzing right now, specifically because of the New York Yankees making one of the most improbable playoff runs we have ever, ever, ever seen. During the year, the Yankees really were in a rebuilding state. They have a tremendous amount of young players that last year closed very, very strong. So the expectations this year is they were going to grow their players, build around a young team, try, of course, to make the playoffs, but there was zero expectations of going far in the playoffs. Well, they always beat the Minnesota Twins and smash them in the play-in game, and they really, really, really had no shot against the Cleveland Indians. Nobody, including me, thought that they would beat the Indians. Matter of fact, I thought the Indians were going to win the World Series. The Indians were just playing the best ball possible. Terry Francona at the helm, looking to win his third championship. After losing last year to the Cubs in seven games, in extra innings, it looked like this was the Cleveland Indians' time and a normal process, similar to what the Royals did. The Royals lost to the Giants in seven games and came back and won the World Series the year later. So it made perfect sense that this was the Indians' year putting together 22 wins in a row, having the best team in Major League Baseball, ending the season on a 33-4 run. They looked poised to get it done. But again, what looks like it should happen, especially when it comes to sports and especially when it comes to gambling, rarely plays out. Normally, the direct opposite is what happens, and we're going to get to that in a couple of moments. So the Yankees disposed of the Indians beating their ace, Corey Kluber, who pretty much could not be beat this entire year. And they not only beat him once, but they beat him twice, and they pissed all over him both times. So very rare for this to happen, but it did. So the Cleveland Indians, the odds-on favorite to win the World Series, are now golfing! Golfing, golfing, see you so long, bye-bye, golf! And Terry Svancona is sucking his own cock as he could not push the right buttons like he did last year. And his relief pitching was anything but lights out. And the ace of his staff fucked him up his ass, and they did not hit. And the Yankees did all the little things. And we knew that they had power, although a very, very young, inexperienced team. And we knew that the Yankees had lights out, shut down relief pitching. But what was overlooked is their starting pitching. 
and their starting pitching has been absolutely fucking incredible. And that's pretty much why they beat the Indians. Tanaka's been unbelievable. CC's been unbelievable. And it's just been an incredible, incredible run. So now, pretty much, we thought that was the end of the Yankees. They beat the Indians. What a phenomenal run. And they play the Houston Astros, which are the second best team in Major League Baseball. With a prolific offense, which the Boston Red Sox found out the hard way, getting embarrassed, getting destroyed. They tore up the very solid Red Sox starting pitching and the very, very, very solid Red Sox bullpen. They made them look like a cheap suit, like a joke. And the Red Sox are golfing along with the Cleveland Indians. So when the Astros faced the Yankees, you figured the Yankees were going to take them Five or six games, but the Astros were absolutely going to win the series. And the Astros, true to form, won the first two games, although they were very, very, very competitive games and very, very little hitting and very, very room for error. And the Yankees made a couple of mistakes and it cost them both games, 2-1, 2-1. So coming back to New York, game three was a pivotal game. And it looked like the season was over, but all of a sudden, Yankees bats came alive and they win the game large. Okay, it was pretty much foregone conclusion. Yankees were going to at least win one of the three at home in the 2-3-2 two, two format. And then in game four, it was going true to form where the Astros were up for nothing. And it was getting to the last third of the game, seven, eight, nine innings. Pretty much, see you so long, bye-bye, and you figured the Yankees would lose the series in five or six. But all of a sudden, their young players started hitting. Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, Greg Bird. DD's been phenomenal all the way around. And all of a sudden, they come back from a 4 nothing deficit late in a playoff game, which rarely happens... The Houston Astros bullpen was dog shit. And the Yankees unprecedentedly come back and win a game that they were dead. D-A-D, dead. So now the series is tied 2-2. And in the 2-3-2 format, it swings all the momentum to the home team. Because game five right now, to see who shoots up in the series and takes a 3-2 lead, the Yankees did what I figured they would do. So much so, I used it as my playoff game of the year. And the Yankees shut out the Astros 5-0. And Tanaka was unhittable. And the Yankees' bullpen was unhittable. And again, they got all the key hits from their baby bombers. Soup to nuts. Now, the Yankees' lineup hits. And now we see their starting pitching is great. And pitching great. G-R-E-A-T. Fucking great. And you know their bullpen's the best in baseball. Chapman hasn't allowed a fucking run in his last 10 appearances. Robinson has been absolutely lights out. Betances, although he's been shaky, doesn't even need to fucking pitch right now. Uh, Green, who has had one of the most epic years for the Yankees ever, has rarely been used. So the Yankees are in good shape right now. And I would say the Yankees 
really probably have as good a shot to win the World Series as the Astros, as the Dodgers, and the Cubs down 3-1. They finally uh, won a game yesterday, getting off the carpet, not getting swept, and they're down 3-1 playing tonight. So we'll see if they can extend the series, but it'll be really hard-pressed for the Cubs to come back and beat the Dodgers. Although the Dodgers have not been in the World Series since late 80s, and they perennial, perennially choke big time, it's going to be hard-pressed for the Cubs to come back. So probably the World Series is going to be the Dodgers against the Astros or the Yankees. And right now, it'd be hard-pressed for you not to bet the Yankees. Justin Verlander pitched a nine-inning shutout. He pitched phenomenal ball. He pitched great ball. Complete game. I think he allowed one run. He was fucking amazing. He was unhittable. He goes in game six to stop the bleeding after Houston won the first two, now lost the next three. And can Justin Verlander close the door against Severino? Now Severino came back and pitched a solid game. Got taken out for an injury, but he got pitched a solid game. And he is only a $1.20 underdog in game six at Houston, which is telling you a lot. After Justin Verlander pitched a complete game victory for the Astros, he is only a $1.30 favorite. $1.30 favorite. That's pretty fucking cheap. So the odds makers are telling you the Yankees are a better team right now. The Astros have not hit. They're number one and number two batters, I think, a one for 34. And that happens in playoffs. It really does. When the pitching becomes better, scatter reports become better, every single pitch means a lot. You can choke, and they're tight as fuck right now. This Houston Astro team that blew through the Boston Red Sox, that blew through most of the American League throughout the entire year, that ran away with their division, cannot hit a fucking baseball right now. They look like a fucking joke. They look scared. They look fucking scared. They look like they have no clue. So in game six on Friday night, Severino Verlander for all the marbles and all the pressure in the world is on the Houston Astros. I mean, it goes without saying they're down 3-2. If they lose, they're going to be golfing with the Indians and the Red Sox and every other team in Major League Baseball. But this was never supposed to happen. So my point being right now, New York is upside down. It's the world champion New York Yankees making a really historic run that no one thought they would. Now, the Yankees are set up for the next five fucking years. Not this year. The next five years. Because all their players are super young. All their players are under contract and controlling. And the word on the street since day one is they're going to throw the fucking money at Bryce Harper which will be the end of the 2018 season. And they're going to throw the money at Matt Harvey, which is at the end of the 2018 season. Harvey always wanted to be a Yankee. Harper always wanted to be a Yankee. And pretty much, I odds on betting right now, I'm going to bet the Yankees sign both of them. I think Matt Harvey will have a phenomenal year in his walk year for the Mets as he will leave the Mets, where the Mets have treated him like dog shit, where the Mets were a dog shit team until Matt Harvey started pitching epically. And it became an event to watch Matt Harvey pitch. And Matt Harvey really put the Mets back on the map. Now, he struggled being hurt. And last year was a fucking abortion. And he struggled closing out a World Series game where he had a 2-0 lead in the ninth inning where he talked Terry Collins into coming out where he never should have. But he did. Coming off surgery. 
Matt Harvey put the Mets back on the map, and then obviously they got DeGrom, they got Syndergaard, they got Mats, they got hitting, they got Cespedes, and they went on an epic fucking roll. And they made the World Series, and then they made the playoffs. And then this year, the injury bug crushed them. But I really believe the Yankees were absolutely going to sign Matt Harvey and Bryce Harper. So if you put Harvey and Harper on this team right now, <laughs> you might have 96 to 2,000 all over again. You might have the Yankees winning back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back World Series. But the run to run right now is unprecedented. It was never supposed to happen. It's absolutely phenomenal. Joe Girardi's doing a phenomenal job. And you got to take your hats off to Joe Girardi. He was a great player. He's been a great manager. He's a class act. He rarely loses his cool. He wears his emotion on his sleeve. Slightly sarcastic, but one tough motherfucker. So New York is buzzing right now with the New York Yankees. And it really helps cover up the dog shit of the New York Giants. And Jet fans are ecstatic. Anytime the Jets win a game, it's a fucking holiday in New York. And the Jets have now won uh, three at three and three, which is fucking unbelievable. Because nobody would be surprised if the Jets right now were 0-6. But they're not. They're three and three, and they were very competitive against the New England Patriots, which isn't saying much right now because the Patriots are playing like shit. But it is only October, which means absolutely nothing. It really matters what you're going to do in December because you know the Patriots are making the playoffs. So if they get their defense together, which right now it's not, nothing will matter. But right now the Jets played a very competitive game against the world champs. So New York is buzzing right now, baby. Buzzing with Yankee fever. New York Yankee fever. The greatest franchise in the history of sports. The most championship won. The evil empire. The most hated team and the most loved team in the world at the same fucking time. New York Yankees. So right now, New York is upside down. And it's a great time to be alive. It's a great time to be in New York. And you can catch the fever. So on the same thinking that there's no fucking way that anybody could have predicted the Yankees making a run to the World Series, which is not locked in yet. They still got to win one more game. And absolutely, Houston could go on a two-game winning streak and upseat the Yankees. But right now, the Yankees are the favorite to win it. Favorite to win the American League pennant and represent the American League against probably the Dodgers. What a fucking series that would be, Yankees-Dodgers. Holy fuck. 77, 78, you got to go back to those days, baby. Unfucking believable Tommy Lasorda, Billy Martin, Reggie Jackson. A whole crew and a whole slew of memories if you go back that far in Major League Baseball. But as you see, what should happen does not. A la Indians a la Astros falling in the toilet at the moment. And let's specifically look at the NFL, where I have now separated myself from the world, and obviously I'm the best NFL handicapper in the world. I mean, I always profess to be better than everybody else, but when my documented record proves it, I can whip out my almost 10-inch dick and show it to the world where men want to be me, women want to fuck me, and bookmakers are scared of me. And last week, they're scared of me. And last week, I closed them the fuck out, starting on Monday night, where Vegas made more money Monday night, last Monday night, where everybody and their mother bet the Minnesota Vikings. There was no reason to believe the Vikings were not going to shred the Chicago Bears. No reason, zero reason, none. 
Bears were starting a rookie quarterback, which normally is disastrous on a Monday night. It's disastrous in general, but on a Monday night, you figure the Vikings' diva is going to roll in with some momentum and piss on the Bears. The game opened Pickham, which should have been a telltale sign that this was not going to be an easy victory for the Vikings. But from a gambling standpoint, you gamblers out there that just lay numbers, laid it. Game went from Pickham to three before you could say, what's the line on the game? Closed three and a half and four. And the Bears came out and looked like they were going to blow the Vikings out of the gym. And obviously the came, the game came down to the last seconds of the game. Vikings win by a field goal. And the Chicago Bears backers, which were there were not many, but they were Stu Finer clients. They were Stu Finer people. Fuck yeah, we were all over the Bears. And we win. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Underdog covering. And that was the start of an epic week last week. Epic week last week. And then on Thursday, we have the Philadelphia Eagles playing a phenomenal game against the Carolina Panthers. Now, Carolina had some momentum. They were talking Cam Newton MVP again. They were talking the Carolina Panthers defense back big time. Panthers looked like they were rocking and rolling, looked like a real team. And all of a sudden, everybody bet the Panthers. They came in plus three, plus three, plus three, plus three, plus three. And the Eagles went in there and pissed all over the Panthers. The score was not as indicative as it was lopsided because really, Philly controlled that game wire to wire to wire. So again, an underdog winning outright, which was the theme of the NFL last week. Underdogs outright. Outright, outright. I had Philly. Had Philly on the money line. Had Philly plus the points. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So now I'm rolling into Sunday. And if you look at this Sunday's card, there is not a game above a seven-point spread. Everything is under seven. Every single game. These games this week are very, very competitive upcoming. But last week, you had lopsided spreads. You had teams laying 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And for some reason, all the suckers out there that gamble love betting these teases. And they said this is teaser heaven. We're going to tease the fucking Falcons down. We're going to tease the Patriots down. We're going to tease the Redskins down. We're going to tease the Broncos down. And we're going to have a party. It's going to be stealing money. Look at this card. How can we lose money? Well, as you saw, I went on Sunday. I only released seven games. And I went 7-0, 7-0, 7-0. And I'm not tooting my horn. I'm telling you a fucking fact. And I'm telling you and preaching to you and teaching to you that what you think will happen in life and it falls into the same category as in gambling, normally direct opposite happens. The direct opposite. You're not smarter than the odds makers. You're not smarter than the lines makers. You're not smarter than anybody. When you gamble, you're at a disadvantage. When you gamble, you're going to lose on your own because you have no idea, no clue. And if Sunday didn't prove it to you, I don't know what else can. Because you got your fucking teeth kicked in. You got your fucking ass handed to you. You got fucking destroyed, crushed, pummeled, blown fucking out. 
And it started early where you said the Falcons are up 17-0, looks easy. And then the dog shit, Miami Dolphins score 20 unanswered points to the best offense in the NFL. They shut out the Falcons in the entire second half and as a 13-and-a-half-point dog, and that was the biggest money Vegas won on Sunday, was on the Dolphins. The game went from 9 to 14. It closed 14. It closed 14 as a five-point spread, a five-point movement in the NFL game, unprecedented. And it looked right at 17-0. And then all you suckers that bet and laid the number, you're sucking cock as the Dolphins win outright 20-17. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And then the Jets, which were winning the entire game against the Patriots, Backdoor cover, and they cover. And again, the Patriots have just been death. They've been a funeral procession for any gambler out there. And I told you they would. I told you on podcast one, you have to bet every game against the Patriots because last year they were 16 and 3 against the spread. 13 and 3 in the regular season, 3 and 0 in the playoffs. Everybody remembers all the money they won. And now it's gone because you've chased it into the ground, betting the Pats, betting the Patriots, saying, wow, Tom Brady, wow, Bill Belichick, wow, their defense has improved. They're going to win it again. Well, they might win it again, but that doesn't mean they're going to cover a fucking spread all year. I think they've only covered one spread all fucking year they're going to put you in the fucking poorhouse because every sucker and their mother bets the Patriots, bets the world champs. Odds makers know this. They overinflate the line. They overadjust the line. You're never getting value betting the Patriots ever, 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 ever. So again, look what happens. Jets cover. And then for some reason, everybody was betting the Detroit Lions, and I used the Saints as my best bet, and that game got a little dicey, but they still won 52-38. And everybody was betting the Lions in that game, even though the Saints line kept going up, people were betting the Lions and the Saints game went from two to two and a half to three to three and a half to four and a half, close five. Some places close six, close six, six. And that was one of the best reverse line moves I've seen all fucking year. And I use the Saints as my best bet. And that's pretty much the reason. How does a game where everybody's betting the Lions move from uh, plus two and a half to plus six? Well, that means there's a millions and millions of dollars of sharp money on the Saints. And it was the smart money, and it was the right money. And it was a game that I won for $100,000. I bet it for 100 grand, and I took my 100 grand that I won on the Saints, and I put it on the Yankees last night, and I have 200,000 that I've won in less than a week. Good job, Stu. Let's go to Sunday again where everybody was betting the Packers. Oh, so sorry, Aaron Rodgers. You're fucking hurt. You might be out for the year. Fuck you, Aaron. Fuck you. Because you know me. I like to go against the grain, against the public, and everybody bets the best quarterback who's ever lived, Aaron Rodgers. And I say that, and I underline it. I've been watching football for 43 years. There's nobody that could do what Aaron Rodgers does. Tom Brady can't hold Aaron Rodgers' jock. The only people that might be able to hold Aaron Rodgers' jock would be Brett Favre and John Elway which I say they're the two best quarterbacks I've ever fucking seen, Brett Favre and John Elway, because they can run and they can make every fucking throw. Tom Brady can only make every fucking throw, and he's amazing at it, but he's one-dimensional, and that's why the Giants beat him back-to-back times in the Super Bowl, because you knew where the motherfucker was, and you put pressure on him, he doesn't leave the pocket, he cannot run, he's not fleet-footed, and he's a sitting duck. 
But Aaron Rodgers is no sitting duck. He can make every throw, every time. So now Aaron Rodgers is holding his cock on the sidelines, hopefully out for the year. Fuck you, Aaron Rodgers. And I say that endearingly because I do say he's the greatest living quarterback that ever lived and he doesn't even have any competition. I think Brett Favre is slightly below him. And then for my money, John Elway is slightly below Brett Favre. And that's how it would go. So if you're saying, Stu, who's the three best quarterbacks ever? And I guess we're not going to count Joe Montana because... There's nobody better than Joe Montana. And Joe Montana can pretty much run, although he didn't like to run because he was smart. And, and uh, Steve Walsh told him not to run ever. He was forced not to run, but sure as hell he could fucking scramble. He could scramble all fucking day. But I'm going to throw Joe Montana out of the mix. My three greatest quarterbacks ever for my money, ever, ever, ever. We go Aaron Rodgers one. We go Brett Favre two. And then we go John Elway three because they can make every throw and they could run and beat you every fucking time with their, with their legs. And they were smart and they were fearless and they had balls of fucking stone. I mean, Brett Favre fucking played, what, 300 fucking games in a row? I mean, it's unbelievable what Brett Favre actually did. It's not believable. It's not the second closest person to him is Eli Manning. And Eli fucking Manning has to play another 90 fucking games in a row, six seasons or so, to catch Brett. And he better be healthy. I don't know if that's going to fucking happen. I mean, the way Eli Manning is playing, he might not have a year or two left. And let's go to that game, by the way, where I called the Giants would win the game outright against the Broncos. And it does show you why I picked the Giants to win the Super Bowl, because finally, in week six, their defense showed up. And their defense put pressure on Trevor Simeon, and he was knocked out of the fucking game, and he was benched because he sucks cock, and Brock Osweiler sucks more cock. And the Denver Broncos with the greatest defense ever and the best team ever and no one wins at mile high and blah, 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 blah. The dog shit 0-5 Giants rolled in there as a 13.5 point underdog. And this game again opened 9.5 and, and went to 13.5. And, and the Giants went out, right? Just like I told you they would. Because again, this was the week that destroyed all gamblers. From a gambling standpoint, that's what I do for a living. I gamble. And I know the week that you could smell that people are going to get destroyed, crushed, slaughtered. But direct opposite happened from the gambling standpoint. Gamblers were never so excited about laying the Bronco number, laying the Falcon number, laying the Patriots. And other winners I had, the Cardinals. Everybody wrote them off as dog shit, and Carson Palmer did look like dog shit. But all of a sudden, they get Adrian Peterson. Now look like they can win the fucking Super Bowl. And they destroyed the fucking Bucks. That game was not as close as that score indicated. That game was over in the first fucking quarter. That was 21 nothing, 31 nothing, 31 3, and then Bucks didn't quit, and they came back to make it 38 33. But, you know, as a one and a half point underdog, Cardinals fucking pissed on them. Just like the pack, just like the, the Vikings plus three pissed on the Packers. Although if Aaron Rodgers was healthy, it might have been a little different. But thank God he's not. Fuck you, Aaron Rodgers. Told you the, G, the Giants would beat the Broncos outright because it showed you when the Giants put pressure on the quarterback, and they're set up to run the ball first and then pass. For some reason, they could not put pressure on the quarterback, and they tried to throw every fucking down. And Bob McAdoo finally let the reins off calling the plays and gave it to his offensive coordinator and a world of difference because they ran the fucking ball down Denver's throat, and that's the best defense in the NFL, huh? Well, they fucking torched them. They shredded them. So then Eli is not going back to pass. Everybody knows Eli's going back to pass, and you could just kill Eli, which is what happened, which is why they're one in five. I mean, they easily could be three and two, but they are one in five, and you are what you are, just like Bill Parcells said. 
But the game, the Broncos was supposed to win. They had no prayer. They were losing the game. And that's just the fate of gambling. That's how it works. Every underdog covered early, every double-digit underdog covered early, every double-digit underdog won outright pretty much. So Sunday night, you're trying to bail out. You're not going to bet an 0-5 team that's looked about as bad as you could look. You're going to bet the Broncos. You're going to lay the Broncos. You're going to tease the Broncos down. You're going to bet the Broncos on a money line if you have to. And you got absolutely wiped out. I mean, fucking destroyed, pummeled, crushed, buried. And that's the reality of life. And that's how it fucking works. So when you're betting in general and you think that you cannot lose and you're making sense of what it looks like, the best team's playing the worst team, let's bet the best team. It doesn't work. Because if it did work, you'd never be hearing from me on a podcast. You'd never have any handicappers. There wouldn't be any gambling because everybody would just make money. But normally what happens is direct opposite. Direct opposite. And that's why I've now won nine straight. Nine straight. Nine fucking straight NFL sides. Nine straight, including going 7-0, 7-0, and 7-0 on Sunday. That's pretty fucking amazing, if you think about it. Pretty fucking amazing to win every fucking game. And the games that I had, which was the Jets, the Dolphins, the Saints, the Vikings, the Cardinals, the Steelers, and calling for the Giants winning outright on a fucking money line. Calling for the Giants to win outright on a money line. Start off with the Eagles. I told you the Eagles would beat the Panthers. And using a dog shit Bears team, dog shit, dog, dog, dog shit, backdoor covering, gotta love it. Gotta love it. Nine straight in the NFL. Now let's go over to college football where I told you Penn State was going to win the national championship. And a lot of you looked at me like, you're a jerk off, Stu. You have no idea what you're talking about. Well, now I'm not a jerk off anymore as Penn State is now the number two team in the nation 6-0, their record has been, and 3-0 in their conference. But really, their season starts Saturday. Their season starts Saturday. Let's look at the first six games they have played as preseason college football. Because it means absolutely nothing! So now, if my prediction's going to hold any water, the next three games where they come up against Michigan even though they're almost a double-digit favorite. And mind you, Michigan last year beat them 49-10 last week in September. 49-10! Jim Harbaugh run up the score, ran it up. Jim Harbaugh was the darling of college football last September. Right now, he's sucking cock. Right now, they're about to fire him. Right now, he looks clueless. And mind you, Michigan is 5-1, and 2-1 in a conference. But they look like dog shit. They almost lose every game. They're not playing well. They cannot throw the ball at all. They're in a lot of fucking trouble. They are in a lot of trouble. Now, Penn State, on the other hand, their season starts Saturday. Because they have to roll and play Michigan. Then they play Ohio State and Michigan State. Back to back to back. And that's pretty much their season. Because... Could they lose all three of those games? Absolutely. Could they win all three of those games? Absolutely. They need to win two of the three to make a run at the national title, which starts with Michigan. Game open 12 and a half. They bet it down to nine and a half. And obviously, in the locker room, I know it for a fact, the 49-10 embarrassment 
at the hands of Michigan last year is being played on a spinning reel constantly. So they'll be ready for Michigan. Jim Harbaugh's playing for respect, playing for his life. Looks like he's lost his edge. And they're going to be up for the game too. It's the best game on the card. It's the best game. It's 7.30 Saturday night. I can't fucking wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to watch the game. I cannot wait to release what I have in the game. I cannot wait to win the fucking game. So that's pretty much college football in a nutshell right now where it looks like Alabama, Penn State. Looks like that's really how it's going to roll. Alabama, Penn State. Bama just murders everybody they play. You know, I guess if you start making spreads 40, they might not cover those, which they didn't last week, but Alabama's just unfucking believable like they always are. And the upsets in college football on Friday night was stunning. Of course, I had both of them too. Syracuse beating Clemson, which Syracuse is a dog shit team, so it shows you that Clemson was looking way ahead of that game. They didn't even show up from the fucking opening bell. They had no idea. They don't, you know, these teams on Friday night, it's a real dangerous game Friday night. Really good teams, really good teams get their fucking heads handed to them. As you saw California win outright big. Big! It's my best bet Friday night, California. So again, dogs, big dogs, double digit dogs that have no shot to win before the game starts. Once the game's played, anything can happen. So you got to remember that when you're gambling, don't think that you can figure it out because you fucking can't. You better be with an expert like myself that at least I can guide you through the landmines of gambling. So that in a week like last week where that wipes most people out for the year, they're done. They're not betting no more because they chased early. They chased late. First you chase Friday and you got destroyed. Then Saturday, Every top 25 team did not cover, so you're obliterated. Then on Sunday, you try to bail out, which what makes sense? Let's bet the Patriots, let's bet the Falcons, let's bet the Chiefs against the Steelers. So many people were betting the Chiefs, like the fucking Pittsburgh Steelers weren't going to show up, and they led wire to wire, wire and pissed on them. Now all of a sudden, the Chiefs don't look like the best team in the AFC. The Steelers do. If you're going to say the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC and the Steelers just beat them, then you're saying the Steelers are the best team in the AFC. And obviously, both sides of the ball, you see that the Steelers are extremely talented. But my point being that there's a reason that everybody loses when they bet gambling. Because on those weeks where you should be cutting back, you chase. Because your normal reaction is, I'm competitive, I want to be a fucking winner, I hate my bookmaker, I hate my offshore sports book, I want to win money. You do not know how to call it a day. I do. You don't know when to stop the bleeding. I am an expert at that. You never chase. I haven't chased in 15 years. Now listen, have I chased in my life? Fuck yes. Have I got obliterated? Fuck yes. Have I got destroyed? Fuck yes. But I've learned. So on a bad week, the best thing to do is pull way back. Stop gambling. Cut your bets way down. I don't care if you've paid me, if you've paid someone else, if on your own you've heard a tip from the horse's mouth. It normally becomes a devastating situation. So the key with gambling is you never want to make a bad situation worse or a bad situation catastrophic or a bad situation wipe you out. And I heard from more people this week 
sucking my cock, eating my ass, like you know I love it, love both, saying thank you, Stu, because without you, Stu, I would be ruined. I would be ruined. I made more sales off last week than I've made the whole fucking year, more than anybody in this industry. I blew the fuck up. I blew the fuck up. That's why when I bet 100000 on the Saints, it was fucking free money. When I bet 100000 on the Yankees last night, it was free money. And that's how you win money. Because when it's free money, when you have it rolling in, when life's great, when everything's perfect, you really don't lose. When you're desperate, your back's against the wall, you're not thinking right, you have a tremendous amount of pressure, you're making an unprecedented gamble to try to earn money gambling, betting on sports, to try to cover other holes in your life, that's when the shit hits the fan and you're in the fucking toilet. So last week, where everybody's sucking my cock, most of you out there got obliterated, destroyed, and you know it for a fact. You know it for a fact. You know it for a fucking fact. So um, instead of depressing the fuck out of you, let's talk about how big my dick is. And it's fucking big. And you know I love my dick sucked. You know it. Absolutely. Who doesn't as a male? And you know when a woman gives you a great blowjob, fucking best thing in the world. She plays with your ball sack. She's finger fucking your ass. And she's just on your fucking cock. And she could either go all the way down and suck the whole thing in her mouth, whether it's my cock, which is almost 10 inches, or your cock, which is probably three inches. Or if she's just sucking the tip of your cock, the head of your cock, as some women and some of the greatest blowjobs I've ever had were just sucking the head of my dick. And they just suck and they suck and it hurts while they're sucking because that suction has to be that fucking tight. It can't be loose. This is not a porn movie where they're showing you how the dick sucked. This is real life where that woman clamps on like it's a pit bull and just sucks the fucking cum out of you. Sucks so much cum out of you that your fucking cock is bleeding. You shoot a load of cum in her mouth and then you bleed in her fucking mouth because that's a great blowjob. Hands down, the best blowjob is when I come in her mouth and then I bleed a little in her mouth because she's done a phenomenal job and she's really worked hard at it. You got to respect a woman that can give an amazing blowjob. Really, you got to respect a woman because truth be told, if you never fucked a woman in your life and all you did ever with the woman was 69, she ate your ass and she fucking gave you a great blowjob while you were eating her pussy and eating her ass and let's say that's how it rolled. Fuck it. Great. You don't ever need to fuck her because that's how powerful a blowjob is. That's how amazing a blowjob is because they're on it. They're sucking it. They clamp down. It's like a clamp. Your dick's in a vice. You're grabbing her hair. You're grabbing her ears. You could be finger fucking her ass, finger fucking a pussy. She could be finger fucking your ass. She could be playing with your ball sack. And women who know how to play with the ball sack, it's an art. It's fucking an art. It's a fucking art. You have to separate each ball. One ball rolls to one side, one ball rolls to another. You play with it, you grab them hard, you squeeze, and that's how you fucking roll. And that's a great blowjob. So, talking about blowjobs, it's very important because normally how a relationship starts is in this day and age, you don't immediately start fucking, but you immediately get a blowjob. Like you meet a girl and within 30 minutes, you're outside in your car getting a blowjob. You're in the bathroom getting a blowjob. You're in a fucking closet getting a blowjob. You're in the middle of a bar and the girl goes down and you put your fucking jacket over, you're getting a blowjob. 
Fucking can happen anywhere, anytime. So a woman with a great blowjob is extremely valuable. <laughs> Women, we love you. We fucking love you for giving great fucking blowjobs because men love shooting loads. I love shooting a load. I love a great blowjob. And when someone can clamp down on your cock, you really got to just tip your fucking hat. I want to take us back now to 1977, 8, 9, where I graduated Farmingdale High School. And it was probably the most insane time to be alive in high school because, first of all, if you were worth your salt and you were, let's say, what we used to call us, which were freaks, there were freaks and there were jocks and there were nerds. The freaks were the people that did drugs and were very cool. The jocks were people who were great in sports and they were the biggest dicks possible because they were just dicks. They were not cool. They were great in sports. They thought who the fuck they were and they were scumbags. And then you had the nerds where they were just super fucking smart. They were introverted. No one spoke to them. They had a fucking horrible life in fucking high school. They wanted to die. Some of them just killed themselves and you really didn't even pay attention to them. Except when it comes to test taking and you wanted to cheat off of the nerds. Absolutely. You wanted the nerds to do your homework. Absolutely. And I was in a really good spot because I had all the money. Selling concert tickets, selling drugs. Let's talk about the drugs a little bit here because then, remember, when I was 18, I was allowed to go into a bar and get obliterated legally. Which means I had fake proof at 15 to go into a bar and get obliterated legally. But the best drugs in the world were around in the 70s. Psychedelics, meaning your acid, your mescaline. The marijuana was absolutely unfucking believable whether it was your California bud, whether it was your Sensimillion, and the Sensimilia was fucking incredible, whether it was Thai stick. And if you had drugs, really, you got the world by the balls because you got all the women. You had the drugs, you had the women. Women love to get fucked up and fuck. No two ways about it. Love to get fucked up and fuck. Now, I'm not talking about a Bill Cosby. I'm not talking about a Harvey Weinstein. I'm not talking about these degenerate, low-life scumbags that have no game. They have no game. Think about how pathetic you are to be Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein. You have millions of dollars. You're a celebrity. You're a superstar. You have all the power, and you can't get laid on your own terms. You can't get laid straight up. You got to embarrass people. You got to coerce people. You got to extort people. You got to manipulate people. You got to drug people. These two are the most pathetic scumbags that ever lived. They should be hung in the street. Hang them in the street. How about if you had a daughter? I don't have any daughters. How about if my mother fucking was dating Bill Cosby or met Bill Cosby and Bill Cosby drugged my mother and fucked my mother and my mother didn't want to be fucked by Bill Cosby? I would take my rainy night back and cave his fucking head in and be doing time in jail and I wouldn't even think twice. I could give a fuck. If Harvey Weinstein tried to make a maneuver on my daughter to get her in a role, to get her in a movie, because who the fuck he is, I would fucking shoot him in the fucking head. I would shoot him in the fucking head. I would kill him. As a public American, I'd kill the scumbag. Because these people are scumbags. 
Harvey Weinstein, they're scumbags. They have it all, they have the money, they have the power, and they don't even know how to get women on their own terms without manipulating, raping them, committing felonies, ruining people's lives. Do you realize that that ruins your life? When you get raped, you get molested, you get put into a position that forever you are untrusting toward men, toward life, toward society, it ruins your fucking life. You're in therapy forever. You do drugs or you do wrong things forever to cover up for that. Because first of all, for some reason, nobody ever told. I cannot believe that they didn't rat people out immediately. Because that's something that has to be ratted out immediately. It's not ratting out, it's telling. Someone is committing a felony. Somebody's committing such the most heinous, disgusting crime ever. And just put it down to if it was your daughter. 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 How would you feel about Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein? You'd want them dead, violently dead, because they're scum. And you're not talking about people who were desperate that tried desperate. Now, you're talking about the elite of society, which makes it so much worse, at least in my eyes. So much fucking worse. So much fucking worse. You're telling me with two, three hundred million people in this world, in this, excuse me, in the United States, you can't get fucking laid straight up? You gotta drug someone to get laid? Are you fucking kidding me? You got to extort and manipulate and coerce someone to get laid, to have sex. You're telling someone, hey, watch me jerk off. Hey, watch me take a shower. You're not getting this role unless you blow me. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? That is so weak. That it's about as weak as it could be. And it makes me almost throw up my mouth. It makes me fucking feel disgusting. It really does. I didn't even want to talk about this, but I'm talking about it. Because I just think, God forbid, if that was my daughter, I'd be in jail. I wouldn't ask questions. I wouldn't call the police. I wouldn't call my mafia buddies. I would personally go there with a fucking metal bat, and I would cave the fucking guy's head in in broad daylight. In broad fucking daylight. And they would have to take 10 fucking people to get me off killing this fucking person where... Weinstein's head would be bludgeoned. It would be fucking pummeled with blood and I'd still be smashing him in the fucking face. Bill Cosby's face would be dead. He'd be fucking pummeled with blood. Are you serious? Are you fucking serious? And it's so pathetic because they had the world by the balls. They have the money. They have the connections. They have the prestige. There's got to be a million women that would fuck two of these guys. Now, both of them are disgusting looking. Harvey Weinstein does look like a Jewish job at the hut. He really fucking does. He's gross. But still, so many women don't get laid. Will never get laid. They'll do anything. Fucking find someone that's willing. Are you kidding me? And for people in Stu Nation, any of you men out there, you got to treat women right. You can never treat them wrong. Just like you have to treat human beings right. But especially women. You can't go to a bar. Like, you can't go to a bar and get someone obliterated and then fuck them. Because it's just not right. You better fucking them straight up. There's plenty of women out there. If you have game, if you know how to talk, if you know how to kiss, you know how to fuck, you know how to make people laugh, you're going to get laid all day and twice on Sunday. All fucking day. Seven days a week. Three girls a night. No issue. Willing. Willing.
You don't need lobotomy bodies. And who the fuck wants to fuck someone that's drugged out? There's no feeling there. You might as well be fucking a dead person. So Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, especially Harvey Weinstein, what he's going through, it's amazing that people didn't put him in jail already. It's amazing. It just shows you the power that certain people have over other people. And it's perceived. There is no power. No one can have any power over you. You have to enable someone to have the power. You have to give them the power over you. Otherwise, you stand up for yourself and say, fuck you. There's no way that's ever going to happen. I'm never going to allow that to happen under any circumstances. But as you see, some of the biggest actresses in the world, some of the most, the richest, the most successful, the most coveted, the most respected women shut their fucking mouths. Shut their mouths. Didn't say shit. Or when they went to people, they were told to be quiet. That has to be the worst fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. You're telling me I just got raped. I just got molested. I just got fondled. I go to you for help and you tell me, well, that's Harvey. Or keep it quiet. Or don't worry about it. Uh, what? That person is as bad as Harvey Weinstein. If you go to someone for help and they tell you to be quiet, keep it under wraps, that's Harvey or that's, you know, Mr. or Mrs. X. Are you kidding? They're as bad as the perpetrator. They're complicit. Their feet are supposedly on the ground. I'll bet my life it happened to them and they shut the fuck up so they're telling you what they did, which is like the blind leading the blind. In life, as we would teach our children, anybody touches you under any circumstances, you immediately tell everybody in the world. Doesn't matter the shame that you're going to go through because otherwise you're fucked up for the rest of your life. Otherwise, you're teaching yourself such wrong things to do to handle a problem, and you're talking a catastrophic problem. And that's why it is so important to get the word out right now to everybody. Again, if your son or daughter got molested, what do you want to do? Like all these priests and rabbis and crazy shit with the church. These people shut their fucking mouths, and they try to just hush money it, hush money it. Do you know how devastating that is to society, to the world? You want to know why everybody's fucked up? You want to know why everybody's crazy? Everybody has to do drugs just to fucking live. Well, that's fucking the reason. Because you're teaching people the wrong things to do. Wrong is wrong. Wrong is wrong. This is not a gray area. This is a black and fucking white area. Something's wrong done to you, especially sexually, especially with someone in a position of power. You fucking rat it out. Because it's not ratting it out. It's doing the right thing. And that's the bottom line. That's my rant on that. So going back to high school now, we had a group where we were freaks. And that's what we were called. We were called freaks. We grew our hair long. We dressed differently than other people. Basically, we wore a concert shirt every day from wherever the concerts we went to. Because we were going to concerts every single week because that was our life in high school. That was our life. Not learning how to be doctors, lawyers, dentists, going to concerts, because music was a way out for us. Music was a way to escape from life and a healthy escape. Music was a way to feel alive and to have really heroes, to have heroes. You could have heroes in sports. We had heroes in music, my group, and we were freaks. Grew our hair long, and we wore dungaree jackets, dungaree pants, t-shirts to school, and that's really how we Dressed, and we were classified as freaks. 
So you had your nerds, you had your jocks, you had your freaks. And then the people in the middle didn't even fucking matter because they had no, they weren't claiming everything. They weren't committing. They had no idea. They were just fucking lost in high school. See, most people, when you talk about how high school was, it was a nightmare for them. Unless you were really a jock or a freak back then when I was in school. Because if you're in that group, you rolled, you had fun. Now, we didn't like jocks. We thought they were the biggest asshole, condescending dicks that ever lived. But at least they had their group and they played their sports and they had a lot of fun. The freaks had all the fun. We got all the women, all day, every day, everybody wanted to be with us. We had all the concert tickets, we had all the drugs. So, selling drugs throughout the country at the time was like an art form, because really, nobody was really coming down on us at all. Everybody knew what we were doing. Like, if I'm into high school, you get off the bus and there's like 40 people selling drugs. And the way they sold the drugs was very interesting. So we sold coke, cocaine, we sold mescaline, we sold acid, we sold 697s, which are uppers, we sold quaaludes, which are similar to oxys, which are downers, and that's pretty much what we did. And we did them every day of the week, it wasn't just the weekends, it was just fucking random, it was like a, a blur, and it was fun. And somehow everybody made it out alive and there was no ODs, there was no deaths. And pretty much, you know, even when we drove drunk back then, which I would never, ever tell anyone to do ever. I don't know how, because remember, we had fake proof at 15. So the minute you got your permit at 16 and you get your license at 17, you know, you were blasted already. And I don't know how, but in those days, somehow God watched over the insane because in those days, nobody gave a fuck. And for that matter, no one got hurt. I don't know how. It's a fucking miracle. It's like the eighth wonder of the world. That for three, four, five, six years straight, everybody, the whole fucking world drove wasted. And most of the time, there were no consequences. Everybody got home okay. The police pulled you over. They drove you home. Somebody knew somebody that took your keys away. You walked home. Somebody came. And that's really what happened. So <laughs> when we used to dress to go to school, we had these dungaree jackets and they were made by a guy named Stephen Barnes. And that was his alias name, Stephen Barnes. And a Stephen Barnes meant that you were wearing a jacket that had seven or eight pockets hidden inside of it so that you can put your drugs inside the pocket. So God forbid, if anybody ever grabbed you, or tried to steal stuff from you, it was hidden in these pockets with zippers. And this guy, Stephen Barnes, made unbelievable fucking jackets. They were the greatest jackets ever. And they allowed you to put all your drugs in the jacket. So normally you'd get to school super early, you'd be wasted already, and the buses would come. You'd come off the bus and we would just line up and who needs acid? Who needs mescaline? Who needs pot? Who needs sensimillion? Who needs Colombian? Who needs gold and we would just sell everything right off the fucking bus and then at a lot of the schools they allowed you to party right on campus which at the high school right on the grounds and my high school specifically has a pool in the back so there would be three four hundred people a day and these were all the freaks the cool people and certain times the jocks banged in and banged out so if you can visualize this now, you'd have a field where I would say it looks like 15 acres and everybody would be fucking wasted. 
and everybody would just be having the greatest time ever because some reason, if you cut school and you missed a class in high school and we were hanging out and you were stoned, it was like heaven. Everybody was fucking doing acid right in school. Mescaline, right in school. Quaaludes, right in school. Smoking pot like it didn't fucking matter. And I'm talking hundreds of people. Now we had like, I think we had 1,200 people in a graduating class. So there was only 10th, 11th, and 12th grade together at the time. So 3,600 people in the school. I would say 15% of the school was with us. So 15% of the school every day knew the MO. You would either be selling the drugs before school started, or you'd be buying the drugs, and then we'd meet at our school behind the pool. And we would just hang out and have the greatest fucking time ever. And we'd be getting fucked in the woods, fucked under the bleaches, fucked on the football field, getting blown, getting hand jobs, tongue kissing, making out, fucking grinding, and it was great. It was just a great time. It was like Woodstock for three fucking years. Didn't matter if you were 10th, 11th, 12th graders. The 12th graders who, as far as the jocks were concerned, were the lowest form of scum when you were in 10th grade because they thought they owned the school. And then you had other people that were really tough people, rockers and people who used to be in gangs and stuff. We never really associated with them at all because they were there, they were onto themselves. All they were looking to do is go to other schools and beat the fuck out of people. And they loved it. They were fighters, but that's not really the group that we hung out with at all, nor had any contact with. I knew them, I knew of them. When I was selling tickets in 11th and 12th grade, I needed them for muscle. So I became friends with them out of you know, necessity, but eventually they tried to rob me too. So, it all, you know, in other words, you know, a, a zebra doesn't change their fucking stripes. You know what I'm saying? It just the way it fucking works. So we're hanging out and literally having the greatest time of our lives. So when people say, how was your school experience? I would say it was the best experience of my fucking life. 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. It was the best of the best of the best because we had 300 some odd friends that all we were looking to do was A, have a good time, B, had each other's back, C, got fucked up out of our minds, and D, had a friendship. And every night we were waiting to go to a concert. Remember, then there was no MTV, there's no internet, there's no telephones, there's no cell phones. So when you're listening to music, you either are going to a concert or you're home fucking playing a record on your record player. That's it. That's it. You know, you caught music on the radio. Absolutely. And you would just wait for your favorite song to come on. And most of the people that I hung with out of the group that did the drugs were rock and rollers. They were rock and rollers. We were rock and rollers. And then in the 70s, there was amazing rock and roll. You had The Who. You had Zeppelin. You had Rolling Stones. Probably the three greatest rock and roll bands ever, ever, ever. You really had the start of Bruce Springsteen, who was just fucking amazing. You had the very, very start of The Police. You had the start of U2. You had the start of iconic rock and roll bands that have lasted for 40 fucking years. 40 years. And then you had progressive rock and roll, which was your yes, 
your ELP, your Genesis, which were unfucking believable bands too. Just amazing music. And the music was alive. It was unfucking believable. Then, of course, you had your southern rock and roll where you had your Allman Brothers, you had your Marshall Tucker, you had your Leonard Skinner, you had your Outlaws. And then you had your acid rock and roll where you had your Grateful Dead. And there was a million deadheads. And everybody could like the exact same fucking music. You know, it didn't even matter. You go to a Grateful Dead concert, then you can go to uh, Ozzy Osbourne at Madison fucking Square Garden. And Tony Iommi fucking blasting on guitar. It didn't fucking matter. Didn't matter. You could just go anywhere you wanted to go. Pink Floyd, Black Sabbath, Grateful Dead, The Outlaws, Marshall Tucker. We just went every fucking night to every fucking show possible. Yes, ELP. Just fucking incredible music. Just absolutely the best of the best of the best. So we used to have these jackets. And so many times, like the only people with the balls in the school were the gym teachers for some reason. So in our school, the principal had no fucking balls. The assistant principal had no balls. And it was just fucking crazy where they would, what they would do is nuts. First of all, they obviously knew what was going on, but they had no idea how to stop it. And they really didn't give a fuck about stopping it because A, if they did stop it, they would have to make an arrest. And then it would be in the papers that their school is filled with drugs, which they were not willing to even start the process of cleaning the school. That's A. And B, they didn't give a fuck. They wanted their job. They had a good job. That was it. So this is how it worked. We'd be able to party kindergarten, um, excuse me. We'd be able to party from first grade to fourth grade. Then fifth, excuse me, uh, first period to fourth period. Then fifth period, and it was the same every fucking day. It never changed. And I think it never changed on purpose because they knew that we knew when they were coming. So the beginning of fifth period, the assistant principal and the principal would come out the gym doors with the gym teachers. And then they literally would walk from one side of our pool field right into the other. They would do absolutely nothing. They would just start walking like together in like a gang. It would be the principal, assistant principal, and two gym teachers. And that was the key for all of us to clear out, to get our Frisbees, to get our drugs, and to go back into the fucking school. So we were able to fucking party our motherfucking balls off from first period to fourth period. And then fifth period, we went back into the fucking school. Totally fucked up, out of our minds, totally destroyed. Now you're saying, well, Stu, did you ever go to first through fourth period? No. I mean, really, no. Really, never. It just didn't happen. And I was in a school called informal school, which was even crazier. Because in 11th and 12th grade, you were allowed to make your own classes, like college, in high school. Where you would have five or six teachers, and they would give English, social studies, math, science, only like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, and with another Roman class, and they made you do your work on your own, which is really how schools should be in the first place, because if you're in a class and you're not, and you're not going to do anything anyway, what the fuck are you even there for? You're only going to really disrupt the people that really want to learn. So this gave you um, a lot of independent study on your own, and it was called informal school, and most people called it what we call free school because it was like free. But you had to be there. You had to be there first period to turn over your card. And I was never in first period because I was outside fucking either selling drugs or fucking getting fucked up or getting blown or fucking getting fucked or whatever the case may be.
So I would have somebody flip my card over and I was always present. So I never missed a day of school, had a perfect attendance when, you know, I never even went to any of the classes. And then, so what it had it ended up is I had to do all the work on my own, which we did. We did or we fucking got help from the super smart people, which at the time I was super smart, even though I was fucking burnt and wasted 10th, 11th, 12th grade of my fucking life, like obliterated. But, you know, I mean, I took my SATs on mescaline. I took the SATs again on acid. I mean, you know, it was fun. I was hysterical laughing. Uh, I didn't do too good, you know, uh, 550 math, 390 English. I mean, you know, probably the only Jew in the world with a 390 on an English. They checked, is that even possible? But it was, yes, 940. Nothing to brag about. When my mother went to the uh, sisterhood that she was the president of the Jewish Center, she was pretty fucking embarrassed. Yes, she was, where everybody's getting 12, 13, 14, 15 hundreds, because they were all the fucking nerds. I got 940. Shamed my mother. Mom, I'm sorry. Mom in heaven, I'm fucking sorry. I really am sorry. So we would just get absolutely annihilated in school. So it was one of the greatest times ever. And the way you can identify the jocks with the drugs is we all had the same dungaree jackets. And everybody knew, no one ever ratted us out either. No one ever said anything to any of the teachers. Everybody knew the secret pockets inside that Stephen Barnes made. <laughs> it was like fucking great. And then... We took it to a next level where we had some amazing artists in school. And then whoever your favorite band was, they would put it on the back of the jacket, the dungaree jacket, right dead in the middle. So like one of my favorite bands in high school was Kansas. Progressive rock and roll, Southern progressive rock and roll with a violinist. And I love them. And I had Left Overture, which was one of their main uh, albums that came commercial. That was on my dungaree jacket, also a band called Nectar was on my dungaree jacket, a band, and then obviously, you know, Yes, Yes was on my jacket, ELP was on my jacket, Genesis was on my jacket, and they were beautifully hand-painted dungaree jackets, like fucking incredible, like when you got it done, you paid the guy like 50 bucks, and every single day you were haunting him, is it done, is it done, is it done, is it done, and once you had it, you were set. So you had all these drug dealers with a fucking their favorite band on the back of their dungaree jacket, and you had all these pockets like we were James fucking Bond! Living large! Selling drugs the American fucking way! And getting fucked up and fucking and eating ass and licking clit even back in the fucking 70s. And it was the fucking greatest time ever. So, for all you people that are in high school right now, that your high school sucks, my condolences. That's a fucking horrific situation. For all you people that went to high school and it blew, and a lot of you did, because I speak to people that were like, I hated high school. No one talked to me. I was not popular. Blah, 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 blah. That fucking blows. Because if your high school career really sucks, that really sucks, because it's got to be the most freeing, time of your life where you have no worries you know you're living in your parents house all you're looking to do is get laid and get fucked up and go to a concert that's pretty much the story now in this day and age much different story now because in this day and age the world's so competitive where if you don't fucking have great grades in high school you're not getting even into college and you might not have a job remember in the 70s so much easier everybody knew somebody to get a job nobody was out of work that wanted to work everybody had a job and it paid well and everything was not expensive so you could live on long island and most parts of the country very very easily and conveniently and comfortably 
for not much of an effort. So we hand the world by the balls. Big time. Not like that now. Now you're fucked. Now you're fucking fucked. Like if I was fucking dating someone now and if I made the mistake to get married now, I would never have kids. Would never have kids. I really would not have kids. Because why do you want to bring children into this fucking world? First of all, you could die at any moment in some catastrophic, insane experience that never happened in the 70s or really even the 80s. And everything is so fucking hard and every relationship bails out so easily if things don't go well. Bye-bye. 60% in divorce. So who the fuck even needs that now? And why would you want to bring a child into this world when you have a lot of bad shit going on? You really fucking do. And then you got all these Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein degenerates running around that people cover their asses when they abuse your children. It's fucking rough. But in the 70s then, the world was fucking so easy. You can get a job fucking even if you were a complete moron, even if you had no talent and you had no redeeming quality in the world, you were working, you had a car, you had an apartment, you could buy a fucking house. Now, you're not, not living like Stu Finer. You're not living like God. But you do have a life. Now, that's not really the case. Now, unless you're sharp, unless you know somebody, unless you're a go-getter, unless you really believe in yourself, like I always preach, you got to believe in yourself because you got to be great, you're fucked really hard right now. Life is hard. Life is rough. It really fucking is. So I validate your struggle out there. All you junior high school kids, you high school kids, you college kids, kids out of college, kids working in a job that fucking blows cock that you'd rather fucking do anything but what you're doing, but you're fucked because you're trapped because you can't earn the money. I understand that. You know, when I was a kid, I was able to roll and do a lot of different things, and I caught success very, very young, and I rolled with it. And obviously, I'm Stu Fonny, you're fucking not! But even if I wasn't Stu Fonny, there was a lot of people that were my friends that were complete idiots that really have done really well in life because they had the 10, 15, 20 years of working at the same place, and they guaranteed a pension, they guaranteed money for life, medical for life, no worries. Now you're not guaranteed anything. Now they force you out. They don't guarantee any of the benefits that we used to have as a commonplace. So it's a real tough world. You got to make it on your own. You got to make it on your own. That's why you got to be much sharper now. That's why, you know, although everybody likes to get fucked up in this day and age, it might not be the best thing to be. You're probably better off being straight. You're probably better off being fucking straight. You'd be better served straight than fucked up right now. Because it's so hard to get ahead. And it's so competitive. And remember in the 70s, I did not have the world as my competition. I was not competing against the world. I was competing against my fucking town or my state. Or if I had a nationwide business, my nation. Now every business is competing against the world. So much harder. Ten times harder. A hundred times harder. If you're an idiot now, you're going to die an idiot. You really are. If you're a moron, you're dying a moron. If you have no talent, you will be talentless. Because there's so many people with some talent that work so fucking hard to become somebody, that's who you're competing against. So your, better, your drive inside of yourself better be second to none. Hey, look, when I started my business, right, I didn't go to anybody's wedding. I didn't go to anybody's party. I didn't go to bars when I started my business. 
I worked 724 every fucking minute of every fucking day. How many people are going to do that right now? Not many. You only do it if you're forced to do it. I did it because I needed to do it. I wanted to do it. I loved what I did. So that's why it's so important to do something you love. Because if you don't do something you love, you're fucked. And that's why a lot of people don't do anything anymore. Because what they, what they want to do, they can't do. So they're not going to do something they hate. So they sit in their parents' house and they fucking, uh, for the rest of their lives. And do nothing. Do nothing. So we have the greatest minds in the world living in their parents' houses doing absolutely fucking nothing. Sad. I can understand it, but it sucks. So, getting back to wrapping up this session where I've touched on a lot of different areas. Thank you, as always, for coming to listen to me. Thank you for spending your time with me. StuFiner.com. You could buy my games and buy my merchandise at StuFiner.com. You could follow me on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat. I'm one of the funniest people ever, which is why I get close to a million views, a million listens a day on Snap. And I'm strong on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook too. I'm enjoyable. I'm funny. I'm coarse. I'm classless. And right now is the best time to sign up for my service. If you're looking to gamble, you might as well gamble with me. Call me on my private cell. Let's cut a deal. Look for my ads that I run every single day. And let me make you laugh. Let me make you money because I'm still fighting. You're fucking not.